Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Hello? Hello? This is Jim. Hi, Jim. This is Catherine. Catherine, you sound so different. Do I sound, like, sort of happy and, um, you know, at peace? Hmm. There is a certain buoyancy to yeah. your demeanor. Have you had a good morning with the bird? Well, I'm in a car. Oh. I'm driving. I've left my burn friend in New York behind. You're not driving driving at the moment. I'm in a vehicle that someone else is driving. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Can I say who you are? I'm with, I'm with, do you remember when we talked to my friend Karen? Yes, of course. Uh, he's driving. The famous author. Yeah, the famous author, Karen Mahajan, is, uh, is driving this car. And Francesca Mari, another famous author, is in the back seat. Um, wow. We're driving to California. Huh. It's like a, an old-timey, on-the-road, literary, Ken Kesey and Buddy, Jack Kerouac <laughs> and Hunter Thompson out there on the road. Yeah. Just with fewer psychedelics, unfortunately. Oh. Well, you know at least someone in the car has had COVID, so that's good for you, probably. Um, Yeah, I would say that Karen is maybe a little more comfortable with public spaces than than I. Right. Given his probable immunity. So did you just feel like you needed a change of scenery? The isolation has gotten to me, and... My sister's in California, so I'm going to visit her. Um, but I'm driving there. Huh. Is this a bad idea? Am I making a mistake? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, for purposes of transparency, I decided that I wanted to see my family before the winter. I think the winter is going to be a really difficult time to socialize. I didn't want to yeah. have this open-ended thing where I couldn't see my parents for potentially years. So I, I right, f- right. flew. And I feel like that was very safe for the reasons we've uh, discussed. I have one N95 uh, that I use for instances like that. And as I said, though, the car is the the interesting part. So you've kind of you're bubbling with these people now, and you're yeah, we're a bubble. Yeah, yeah. And I got tested before I left and was negative. So that's and, true. You were negative ten days before you left. Right. Right. Uh. What was your experience with flying? Because this is a good comparison for people who are thinking about driving, uh, traveling right now. We're, we're trying the two ways. The planes were sparsely populated. The airports were very sparsely populated. Everyone was wearing masks. <laughs> um, there was plenty of space in between everyone. Um, the, the plane <laughs> was probably half full. I don't know how the airlines are staying in business, but um, knowing what I know about airplane ventilation with everyone taking precautions, I did not feel that it was risky at all. But but you I had an N95. Well, I did, but I think I think that that's overkill. Um, and you would have felt fine even if you had just regular masks. Um, I think a. Uh, surgical mask a medical grade mask of any sort would be what people should wear mm-hmm. i already have this mm-hmm. one that i is it's too late to donate and so i, I go ahead and wear it yeah but um can we actually talk about masks 
like the mask hierarchy for a second because um what is it i don't have surgical medical grade masks i've been wearing these cloth ones yeah um, have we not talked about this protective no i don't think so okay well even if we did um this is a good refresher then the top of the hierarchy is like a gas mask you know where kind of nothing can get in. You could have toxic fumes around you and nothing, and, and you can breathe. Are those available, like, at your local Target, or...? <laughs> no, I think you can get them at, like, Army-Navy surplus stores, and there are sites online. Okay. I looked. Um, okay, so for, for people who are especially vulnerable and need to get out, like, that is maybe not a bad idea? Um, it would only be necessary if you were going into a ridiculously high-risk huh. scenario. I, I've never okay. seen them used medically. Just from a physiologic standpoint, though, there are those in, like, these big suits which people who worked with smallpox would wear who would just be like, there is no way this can get to me. Um, mm-hmm. So then down from that comes N95 masks, which block 95% of particles and they're very user dependent. They have to fit really snugly. Like you're you're not supposed to have a beard when you wear one because that will alter mm-hmm. the perfection of the, the seal forms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And these are the ones that you've you've probably seen photos of like healthcare workers who've been, you know, having to do usually you put one on when you go into a particular room with a contagious patient. Um but they're wearing them for like eight hours at a time and getting these rings of bruises around their face and it's not something that you oh right 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 you know they start to like break down and if you're not wearing them well and the they start to lose their form and they become comfortable to wear all day long then they're probably not as effective as they were um so anyway a good n95 is what you would wear if you have to get right up in the face of a sick patient and put a tube down their throat to intubate them and you should mm-hmm. feel reliably protected. So it's overkill yeah. to be doing it when you're sitting on an airplane with asymptomatic people wearing masks, but Okay. Um, yeah. Then there are medical grade masks, which are medical or surgical masks, which I should compare them to a cloth mask. So a cloth mask is made of woven fibers, which small particles like a virus, which is super tiny, can pass right through. Like if it's a single thin sheet, it does not block a lot of uh, airborne particles. But most of them are like double layered. Right. So the more you layer... Even the homemade ones. Yeah. The more you layer, the more protection you get. Um, Mm -hmm. If you made it 18 layers thick, you would... um, be blocking probably almost all of the particles, but you would also be barely able to breathe. Um, so kind of when you get to like a, a cloth mask, the degree to which it is hot and suffocating is the indicator of how much it's blocking. And so that's obviously a problem right? mm-hmm. because especially in the summer and people are wearing these all day. Um, yeah, it's nasty now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why medical grade masks are so good. So people have been faced with this problem because, you know, this is what surgeons wear when they have to do a 10-hour procedure. You know, they want to be comfortable 
and they need really good protection. So the fibers in them are woven into this like labyrinth. So air can pass mm-hmm. through, but it snaps up any particles. They're made to filter things, whereas a bandana is is not. I know a bandana seems like the lowest possible form of mask, right? Because it doesn't even feel against your face. You're just breathing right out, right? Yeah. Well, the stuff's all really user dependent. I mean, you could you can fold a bandana and put rubber bands on it and make yeah, it. Yeah, but most people who are wearing bandanas are just tying it in the back, and it kind of like hangs off of their face in a way that it's not actually blocking breath. Yeah. Um, you know, I <laughs> I don't think that they're giving much protection. And yeah. they they would if you were coughing or sneezing and putting out, you know, like actual gobs of mucus, they would block right. it. But in that case, you shouldn't be going out anyway. Right. Actually, could you hand me the, are the masks handy? We actually have, I just want to check and see what kind of cloth, I mean, they're what? KN95? What is a KN95? In the U.S., we have a National Institute uh, for Occupational Safety and Health, NIOSH, Mm -hmm. and they regulate uh, what products, what masks get the designation N95, meaning it will Mm -hmm. block 95% or more of super tiny, uh, less than one micron particles that are in the air. Mm -hmm. And the Chinese equivalent of that, which is regulated by Chinese government, is KN95. And there are some subtle differences, but functionally, it's worth thinking about them. So this is pretty much as good as as an N95? It should be. Oh, so then we have N95s. Yeah, I mean, that's actually what I have is KN95. I can use it interchangeably. So when should I be wearing this as opposed to a cloth mask? Because I've only been wearing cloth masks. You shouldn't need to wear that except in a really high-risk scenario. Would a gas station bathroom be a high-risk scenario? Hmm. If you only have that N95 or a cloth mask, I would uh, use the N95. Okay. It's very likely overkill. Just, you know, don't overuse it because it'll break down over time. And yeah, yeah. Keep it around and you won't feel comfortable wearing it all day every day. I, it sounds like you're missing the masks that slowly are emerging as the the norm. They're finally starting to be available and they really are what everyone should be wearing, which is a a medical grade mask, a surgical or medical, medical mask, which is the ones that are, they're paper thin. Um, Got it. And they have usually rings over the ears or a tie in back, but I, I was able to find some at a hardware store. And those okay. are the ones that you can wear them around. You can wear them all day. You can wear them in hot weather. You can wear them when you're doing a light exercise. And mm-hmm. it's just... You know, they're very effective. They're not cutting into your face. You can breathe. And that is what, you know, our government should be <laughs> sending everyone in the mail. Okay, this is going to change my road trip. Thank you. This is helpful. I didn't know. Now I'm worried retrospectively about all the places I've been with just a cloth, a cloth mask on. The only reason people were recommending cloth masks, even our, our, our man Anthony Fauci, 
was just because we didn't have enough surgical masks. Right. And right. I think our supply chains still could be tenuous. I have um, to say, when we're like, when this is all over, there needs to be a like look back at how the communications on masks got so screwed <laughs> up because it really, like, it really <laughs> has not been well communicated. Okay, so uh, the words I need to look for are medical grade surgical masks. That's what I need to look for on the box. I think we could use a little bit of regulatory clarity here because I've seen like someone sent me a link to Brooks Brothers, which had these ones which were white and looked very medical. And then in the marketing uh-huh. copy actually said medical grade, but they were made of some cloth. Um, mm-hmm. This is mm-hmm. something we should look more into because it, I was <laughs> thinking this is really complicated and it would be nice if there were more designations besides N95 and there could be more specificity as to what type of mask you should wear when like if there were a four tier mm-hmm. system and like right right this is a restaurant you need a level three mask right. and uh people would know that because yeah a lot of people are getting them from like fashion merchandisers or hardware right, stores right. or making them themselves and it's ridiculous to be on a plane where the only rule is something has to cover your face when they're vastly inequivalent. Got it. Also, okay. you get to break That's the rule actually. if you That's need to take a drink. Yeah. Right, right. Did you did you take a drink on the plane? I had a swig of water at one point. Yeah. <gasps> Yikes. Um, uh, it was it was uh, it was fine. The air on the plane turns over every three minutes. There was no one near me. Right. Um, I've had. Right. <laughs> I've been meticulous with my hygiene and and uh, distancing, so uh, I didn't feel like I was risking. I didn't feel like I was putting anyone at risk. But we're okay. talking a lot so about me, and you're the one on the interesting <laughs> road trip. Where are you? I am currently outside of Chicago. Oh. Where yesterday we experienced something that I'd never heard of, a weather phenomenon known as the derecho, mm-hmm. um, which was terrifying. There was hail, there was wind blowing tree branches off, and then there was a tornado warning, and I was driving through it, and it was very scary. We're okay, but it was both frightening, and it was alarming because I thought it was going to break the windshield of the car, and my car, I just got it, so I'm a little protective of it. You, it's your car. You got a car. I got, I, I purchased a car. This might not be surprising to our listeners, but it is not uncommon at all to not have a car in New York. Yeah. This was a large and emotional experience for me, making the decision to, and then trying to figure out how to, and then trying to negotiate for a vehicle. I know it's a common experience for many but it was new to me. Yeah. You don't like to commit to anything. No. And it's a big move in any New York resident's life, but especially you. You don't like to be tethered <laughs> to things. So uh, w- why? I spent March to June trapped in like a 10-block radius. Mm-hmm. And some weeks didn't leave my apartment at all. And... I don't know. I was just kind of going crazy. And the car is this 
thing that suddenly allows you to go anywhere. Well, now I get to go see my sister. You've done some road trips in the past, right? Oh, yeah, and I love a road trip. There's no, uh, there's no greater feeling of freedom than a road trip, just you and the open road, you know? Yeah, tethered to nothing except the car. Except the car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I think you're not the I, only one who's doing this. No, I'm, I know I'm not the only one because several people I know who never were car owners before have recently gotten cars. I'm sure it's not a good thing. But oh, well. I, I also, having hmm. done it, understand why someone might have the impulse to do it. As I understand it, people are afraid of public transit, um, subways and enclosed spaces like buses and subways and, and possibly right. even Ubers um, or uh, taxis. At the same time, people just need to get out of the, the little apartments because you will lose your mind. And so you're not alone. This is a thing. This is a thing. Have you heard the term COVID cars? I haven't heard the term COVID cars. No. Is, it, is this the phenomenon of people buying cars uh, during COVID? I believe so, yeah. You know, our streets are already really crowded during rush hour. They are not meant for everyone suddenly to decide they're going to become a driving commuter rather than subway commuter. Right. I, I mean, I, yeah. Am I, I mean, should I feel bad about this? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes. The one thing that you're excited about and feeling is giving you a sense of buoyancy and freedom, you should feel bad about that. No, it's clearly something that was really valuable to you. It's giving you resiliency that you're going to need come winter, and this trip will be important to your health. Right. I am very, very worried about the winter, but we can talk about that at a different time. But, yeah. I mean, I'm having COVID car guilt. <laughs> Is that a thing? Um, COVID car guilt, not yet. <laughs> I think it will be, though. Well, um, I'm having it. Well, I, I don't um, know exactly what these changes are going to do, whether they are good or bad. Could you find out for me? Yeah. I will look into this. I will talk to Rob Meyer, who's been uh, looking into car ownership, in addition to all the work he's been doing on you know, tracking the COVID data. Mm. And he, well, he's a climate reporter, too. So I kind of feel like I know what he's going to say about this. Have fun. I'll talk to you next week. Um, just to clarify again okay. for everyone, yeah, we're yeah, doing we'll weekly talk. right now. Yep. So every Wednesday we talk now, just in case anybody missed the announcement earlier. We only, we're only we talking on Wednesday. I'll talk to Rob. I'll see what I can find out for you. Okay. You go okay. enjoy yourself. Unwind. Okay. And uh, breathe in a little of that air that I call America. <laughs> Will do. Talk to you later, Jim. Good luck out there. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Hello. Hey, Rob. Hey. It's just me and you today. Oh, yes. Catherine's on a on a road trip, which uh, I have complex feelings about. But <laughs> um, yeah, we were talking about cars, and I know you've been uh, reporting and, and writing about transportation for a long time and cars specifically in this moment and i wanted to hear if everything is going to change about the way we move ourselves around because of the pandemic but maybe we don't start there (laughs) it's a good question are people really getting covid cars is this is there something happening 
there is definitely something happening. Uh, you know, it's funny. I started looking into this because there were a few months. I mean, I think between June and August 1st, I have friend groups where every person or every couple in them bought a car. So that was how the anecdata started. <laughs> and then I started huh. looking for data. And it's it not only is it definitely a thing, it's, so it's especially hitting the used car market, like is where we see it in the data. So there's like two data points here that I think are really interesting that lend credence to this, this question of like, are there COVID cars? And I've come to think the answer is yes. And not just because like a ton of friends of mine have bought cars in the last, last few months, as well as I have also bought a car in the last few months. Wait, and that's, you? yes, I got a car. I mean, I got a car, I think not only because cars are this kind of ultimate form of PPE, <laughs> we can talk about whether that's true, mm-hmm. but they're at least perceived as a form of PPE, but also just because if you live in the city, there's not a lot to do right now. What you can do right now, you know, is go to the beach or go hiking or mm-hmm. go hang out outside. And DC has a great public transit system, but it doesn't have an amazing transit system to like connect you with hikes that are an hour out of town. Right. Um, and always in the past, I've just rented a car if I want to go hiking, but renting a car is like a little dicey now because you don't know who's been in it in the past. You don't know what they were doing. You don't know, like, I don't know. You can tell me if this is a accurate concern or not, but I'm like, you know, mindful that there could be, they were sick and didn't know it or something, you know, you could get virus like in the HVAC or something. I don't know. Um, it's just a enclosed, it's like basically a room that you're borrowing from other people and you don't know who else was in that room before you. Yeah. I think it's a low likely, but not unreasonable, but certainly when people are doing ride shares or riding in cars with, you know, people who are not in their bubble for any reason, that is not a good situation. Yeah. Um, so like basically your view is like, renting low risk but not unreasonable but rideshare not the best surfaces are easily sanitized um air you know should not be lingering from the person who was in there a few hours before and i would always be driving with windows open and fan on if you're riding with other people anyway so i don't think that's an issue i think the issue comes when you're in a car with people outside your bubble and windows are up and the air is not on or the ACs on and recirculating things where you yeah. really are in extremely close quarters, like not just not social distancing, but you're, you're closer than you would be. <laughs> right. You're like sharing a single scuba tank. <laughs> yes, exactly. I think that is not good. So then yeah. I guess maybe is the solution is then everyone wants to avoid having to catch a ride with people or having to do a ride share, having to take a cab. So they're getting their own freedom mobiles. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's right. That's right. So there's kind of two data points I have <laughs> looked to here. The first is, you know, back in the early summer, there was this interesting phenomenon where car sales on the whole were down, but car sales among 18 to 35 year olds were up. You know, young people, relatively young adults like you and me. Um, oh, thank you. Who maybe have lived in cities. Yeah, absolutely. Who maybe have lived in cities where we haven't needed cars or where a car has just seemed like more expensive than it's worth, are suddenly deciding to get cars. Um, the other kind of data point is that uh, people are like really, they're buying a lot of used cars in like a, a noticeable way. Now there's a few like, and and I should say the other other thing is that Carvana, which is this 
kind of online only, no in-person national dealership. Owned by Dave um, Grohl. Oh, is it? No. Oh, no, it's not. Owned by sometimes Atlantic contributor. Fake oh, no, I thought it was like a Atlantic post-Nirvana project, but no, this is a, something called Carvana. Carvana, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Dave Grohl's post-Nirvana project is uh, contributing articles to the Atlantic.com. The Food Fighters. Yes. <laughs> um, Carvana has basically said it's inventory constrained. In other words, it is not able to obtain used cars as fast as it's selling them. So this is surprising to me, though, also, because, Rob, you know, you're well known as one of our uh, the, the nations, if not the world's leading climate reporters. And uh, as I understand it, transportation has some role in forces shaping our environments, specifically burning of fossil fuels. So did, was that difficult for you? Did you get a electric car or? I, I didn't get an electric car. Okay. And this is the. And I, it's funny because I always thought my first car would be an electric car, but I didn't get one. And the answer is because I'm, I'm hesitant to say this on the podcast because I, I don't know that this is going to be true for everyone who's buying a car. You know, if you're buying a car just because you want a form of PPE, you want to get around the city, you want to go to the grocery store and park without taking public transit or something. Um, an electric car is a really good choice. Uh, for me, an electric car just doesn't quite make sense. And in some ways, it's like it has the opposite use case. So so an electric car is like great if mostly what you're doing with a car is commuting. You're not driving more than kind of 100 miles out. In oh, no. Trip. Are you going on a road trip too? Well, I'm going hiking. You know, okay. like I'm not yeah. going near anyone. But I am going to places where I'm not going to see anyone uh, or where I'll only kind of see people outside and be able to social distance from them. You want to go do more than just pop around the city and you can't have Exactly, I like, just can't trust that there's going to be EV chargers out there, that there's going to be like electric chargers kind of yeah. out in the Shenandoah Valley when I need them. Um, right. And so what I kind of need are like a car that can go longer distances. I'm not using this for the city. For the city, I'm happy to walk or bike still. Sure. Um, I've been covering climate change long enough. I mean, my personal views on this, I guess, are, and my view as a reporter too is that, these are system level changes. Like to fight climate change, we need system level changes. And I, I think if you can buy an EV and it fits your use case, you really should because that purchase does mean a lot. But what we're going to need to actually fight climate change is honestly like massive public or private investment in transportation that lets us move around without expelling greenhouse gases. This is not the project of people. This is the project of communities and states and governments and companies. And so that's how I was able to justify it to myself, I think. <laughs> well, when you talk about a fifth of greenhouse gases coming from cars and trucks, that is not generally from the person who happens to own a car that they occasionally use for very deliberate purposes, such yes. as going on a hike or seeing family it is from these daily grinds of the way we've designed our suburbs where people need to commute an hour every day and are driving everywhere to do everything and for the most part you live in a dense urban center and you are only using this car for very deliberate purposes um i have a so i have a question for you here which is that i think some people are buying cars because they are afraid of contracting the virus if they were to take public transit 
Yeah. Um, and, and I'll be honest, that's certainly a reason I bought a car is that my family, you know, my parents live in New Jersey and normally, you know, during non-pandemic times, I would just take Amtrak to see them. But the idea of taking Amtrak, taking the metro or the subway during the pandemic, uh, you know, especially if one of the things I might be doing is like visiting a potentially sick person already, it wasn't that appealing to me. Um, what's your sense of how safe or unsafe or, or really risky or low risk taking public transit is? Well, you know, that's obviously a very broad term. We've talked a little bit on the show about airplanes, yeah. which at first seem like, uh, you know, very bad situations. The reason we don't see outbreaks of things like flu uh, on airplanes, and we haven't seen mm-hmm. outbreaks of coronavirus on airplanes, is because the airflow in there is really good. And I've actually, this uh, mechanical engineer was DMing me after we talked about this on the podcast, and he was saying how, you know, he's been calling for, uh, why don't they just open the windows and all the subway cars and all that? That would be a great solution. I think that would make, uh, I would feel very safe doing that. As it is, I don't know what precautions are being taken in different places, and I'm sure they vary. But they always, you know, we always have flu season that's killing tons of people. Right. This is a great time to overhaul those systems and just make sure that they have that sort of, <laughs> they don't have to have airplane level ventilation, but the kind of thing where you just, you know, you're not sitting in stagnant air. That's so important, right? To restore faith in public transit. Yeah. For the climate, it's important. And for people not feeling like they need to all try to buy cars, because what do people think is going to happen in New York and DC with all these cars? <laughs> right. Where do they go? Yeah. We already have 6,000 miles of road in New York City. And my solution to the pandemic was to open those roads, like close, yeah. open, open them to pedestrians, close them to cars because people need space to bike and run and hang out and get out of their apartments. And yet instead, people are buying cars and they're going to need that road even more. And those parking spaces where we've also now located our restaurants are going to be even higher in higher demand. So I, <laughs> do you see this changing the face <laughs> of American cities? I think this is I think this is one of the really great open questions about the pandemic, um, actually, because, you know, something I've, I've been pretty disappointed about in D.C. Uh, that I think New Yorkers have also been disappointed about is that a lot of the Western cities, especially in the Pacific Northwest, have really taken this opportunity and, and European cities as well have taken this opportunity to to reclaim the streets from cars. Right. And to be like, well, people need to social distance and they need to get outside the way to do that is to pedestrianize a lot of streets. Open them, as I say. To open them, yeah, Some people say close, but that's a matter of perspective, right? Yeah, right. Well, and and also, I guess I'm curious about what's going to happen to people like me who are kind of reluctant car owners or who have cars for very specific purposes Mm -hmm. who also want cities to open the streets and also want cities to to end on-street parking so people have more space to walk around. And historically, you know... (laughs) I think car owners have kind of been this more monolithic block kind of acting in their own interests, acting like they always want more parking. It's actually really important during this time that cities and city planners and governments act forcefully (laughs) to preserve all the benefits of being a pedestrian or a cyclist or a scooter rider or an e-bike rider in the city because people are buying cars and the tendency will be to kind of revert to car first planning and car first decision making. And if 
cities don't move forward during this time, then I think they're going to, you know, wake up in 2021 and 2022 and they'll have actually lost ground. People will just be defaulting to their cars a lot more and cities like DC and New York will become less livable and more unhealthy places to live because people will be opting for cars. And we should mention too that you know, not everyone that lives in cities can afford yes. a car. Yes, that's definitely true. And we should also say that like cars are not just, you know, this whole conversation we've been talking about folks like Catherine and me, you know, we're both white, we're both professionals in cities. Uh, we both work in these cultural jobs. There's a lot of other people who live in cities that are have been here for longer, especially cities like DC and New York. And car ownership is like an important issue to a lot of different people, kinds of people. And like, there are studies that basically, you know, if you don't have a car and then you get access to a car, like your earning potential does go up because now mm -hmm. you can drive to a lot of jobs that you weren't able to get to before. Right. It, it's, it's important that the way we move forward in transportation basically makes it easier and easier to not own a car and makes it possible so that you have access to all the same number of jobs and that there are good jobs for you without a car as you do with a car. I mean, that's a whole big pot of questions, but, um, no, it's a, they're, they're all I, interrelated we answers right? here. And we just, that's an important yeah. thing to think about right now is this pivotal yeah. moment and to hold, you know, leaders accountable for thinking beyond just when do we reopen to phase whatever yeah. to what are you actually doing long-term? Can I uh, share one bright spot with you then we'll have the interview? Oh yeah, I love bright spots. Okay, so one thing I have been wondering is that the last 10 years, congestion has gotten bad across the US, especially in the past three or four years. Like, a lot of areas have really bad traffic that just did not have traffic before that. And we also know air pollution in some places is getting worse, especially from cars. And a lot of the blame here seems to be on Uber and Lyft because all these ride sharing apps, instead of working on a taxi system where basically taxis like nowhere to go sit for rides where taxis can be hailed um, just from the side of the street. And so to some degree, it's like a quite, live on-demand system where like if you need a car and you walk out to the street and you stick out your hand and you get a car uber and lyft have moved to the system where like cars are sorted by algorithm and there's just a ton of cars without passengers on the road at any one time driving basically from the end of one ride to the beginning of another and they have made congestion a lot worse and something i do wonder i used uber and lyft a lot before the pandemic and to some degree actually <laughs> <laughs> the cost of owning a car is more, but not that much more than I might have spent on Uber and Lyft. Like I bought an old used car, you know, like it's not, and I was right. spending a lot of money on Uber and Lyft. And if people after the pandemic switch a third or a half of their rides on Uber and Lyft to their own private vehicle, a private vehicle that when they are not driving it is just sitting in a garage somewhere or sitting in a parking space somewhere it could reduce congestion and, and like improve overall outcomes because if that took some number of Uber and Lyfts off the road, we could actually see congestion decrease. And this is just speculation on my part. Yeah. But like ride-sharing apps are really bad. They're like really bad for congestion. They're not very good for pollution. And if we see people But they're great for the workers. <laughs> and they're also bad for the workers. Uh, um, I mean, they're- At least the know, companies are making a lot of money. No, also the companies are losing money. Oh. 
Hmm. But they are good. I mean, it is right. You can call a car with your phone. That's yeah, nice. it's it's nice and convenient, I guess, for some. And for, compared uh, some to having people. no job, that's it's better than that. Oh yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Right. Everything's uh, better than, than something. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I guess I do wonder if a lot of folks who are buying cars now have basically used Uber and Lyft in lieu of a car, and if mm -hmm. they started just using their own car for that, that could actually take some vehicles off the road. Well, you know what would uh, get cars off the road is if you, uh, you you didn't allow them on the road because they they were open to pedestrians. Um, <laughs> thank you so much Absolutely. for the insight, Robin. Now, normally, this is where I would say talk to you later, but do you uh, want to stay on as I close the show? Yes, I'm happy to stay on for the outro because Catherine's not here, and usually it's both of us. Um, did you see in our Slack there was the neck gator study? Yes, I tweeted about the NetGator study. Uh, people are asking me about this, and I am interested. I didn't know that there was such an outcry. Could you summarize that? Yeah, so it was a study. It was in Science Advances last week, and it compared basically how much droplet transmission happens with different masks. I saw. So it, there were like 14 different masks, and they all... This study's been done before, but this was another another one. This yeah. is another one, and it, I think what makes it maybe a little different from previous studies, it looked at a fairly wide array of masks yeah. that people are using. So it looked at different kinds of cotton masks. It looked at cotton polyester mixed masks, right? It looked at, and it looked at, well, it looked at this thing it called a neck fleece. Yes, this was the controversy, right? It was just about yes. one of the 14 things that were studied in this yes. small study. And as I understand, it, there was one person who was wearing a, a fleece. Yeah, a like one gator. of the experiments they did. Actually, they, they tested this a lot less than they tested the cotton masks. Um, they were wearing, yeah, like a neck gaiter, basically made out of some kind of synthetic fleecy material. Yeah. There's this graph, which is compelling, that shows that that one person was expelling more particles into the air than a person wearing no mask at all. And that made a headline in the Washington Post that maybe you should, you know, be wearing no mask at all rather than a gator, which is absolutely not a recommendation. <laughs> yes. But nonetheless, yeah. this was a curious observation. So people well, who are genuinely interested in science are wondering what what happened with that one person in this one study. Yeah, and and if you look at the study, I think maybe partly because the sample size was so small. We're a little in the weeds here, but they didn't actually find a difference. Yeah, um, exactly. And, right. and it, 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 the, the study's not powered to say that, but it's an interesting observation, just like so many interesting observations we're seeing now. And I really do think we need more clear evidence and labeling of just exactly what constitutes what kind of mask and for what sort of situation. E.g., if you're in a grocery store or on an airplane, you need a level three or four. We need more than just N95 or yeah. Or, or nothing. Or nothing, right. <laughs> because there is a big difference in how based on how they're worn and people should not feel as protected as they as they may. Yes, although in some ways a neck gator finding, because it was so out there, kind of overwhelmed what I think the main finding of the study and the much more well-supported finding of the study is, and probably the finding that like the <laughs> authors thought they were finding, which is these cloth face masks that we're using work really pretty well. They're not surgical or N95 level, but like they are pretty effective and significantly better than no mask at all. All worth taking into account. Sorry, I didn't mean to get on such a, a long aside there because no, uh, it's, there's it's one important. other thing I wanted to, to note. And it has to do with last week, uh, we talked about peer review and how research is changing 
over the course of this pandemic and things are being kind of instantly peer reviewed in the phases pre-publication by Twitter and tons of people and it may change things. And we had one listener who was felt that I was too dismissive of the peer review process. And I probably was uh, an academic, a person who works in academic publishing. And I know there are a lot of good people out there who are trying really hard to keep the process as rigorous as it possibly can be. And I only meant to suggest that um, I know that doesn't always happen. And that if you could have a thousand people instantly critically evaluating a study, you're more likely to really, you have a bigger sample size of determining the validity of, of those findings. And, you know, having even outside perspectives um, outside of that exact field of expertise um, sometimes is actually helpful to the critical process as long as everyone's working together. So I meant it more as like, I'm hopeful that the process is just going to keep getting better rather than saying that it's broken right now. Um, thank you to everyone who's rigorously peer reviewing something right now. Okay. And that should do it. We will talk again next week. This show was produced today by Kevin Townsend. Write us at socialdistanceattheatlantic.com or call us at 202-642-6487. If you like the show and want to access all of The Atlantic's journalism, the best way to do that is by subscribing at theatlantic.com forward slash support us. Thanks for hanging on, Rob. Talk Absolutely. To you, Thank uh, you for having me. You know, hopefully really soon. Alexis and I are working on a story about testing stuff. I assumed you were. Yes. <laughs> Always. Yeah, yeah. My That'll life now. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you. Be well. Bye. Bye.